By listening to the Conscious Fertility Podcast, you agree to not use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician or healthcare provider for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Welcome to Conscious Fertility, the show that listens to all of your fertility questions so that you can move from fear and suffering to peace of mind and joy. My name is Lauren Brown. I'm a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine and a clinical hypnotherapist. I'm on a mission to explore all the paths to peak fertility and joyful living. It's time to learn how to be and receive so that you can create life on purpose. This week on the Conscious Fertility Podcast, I have Lloyd Auerbach, and he is a world-recognized paranormal expert and parapsychologist. He holds a master's degree in parapsychology. Lloyd has over 43 years of investigating the paranormal and over 40 years teaching courses on this subject. He's the director of the Office of Paranormal Investigations, president of the Forever Family Foundation, and adjunct professor at Atlantic University. He's also on the board of directors of the Rhine Research Center, where he teaches online parapsychology courses through their educational center. And he's either authored or co-authored, at this point in time, nine books on the paranormal for the general public, including two that I found or find the titles quite interesting, the one on psychic dreaming and mind over matter. And he's been on many media appearances in the thousands with numerous um, national TV appearances as well. And um, you can see him in some episodes on The Unexplained or Surviving Death on Netflix. And I was introduced to Lloyd through this Society of Science Exploration. I met you at one of the conferences there. Mm -hmm. And um, some of your colleagues from the Rhine Institute and who I've had on the podcast said, we should chat. And so, Lloyd, I'll start off with what is parapsychology? Because it shows up a lot in your biography. So tell, maybe we can start with that and then how we're going to tie this into uh, health and reproduction and manifestation. Well, parapsychology is the study, the scientific study of psychic phenomena, psychic experiences. And that includes extrasensory perception and it's all its variations. It includes mind over matter or psychokinesis, as we like to call it, PK, uh, which runs the gamut from healing to moving objects, to bending metal, to affecting computers, just runs a, a wide range. And it also, the third area is survival of bodily death. The idea that consciousness can survive outside the body and actually live on after we've died. And that would include things like apparitions and your death experiences, and of course, reincarnation, things like that. All right. So we can go real out there on this topic. And so well, it's, it's out there for you, not out there for me. <laughs> you're right. So for me, it's, it's, you know, a little out of my comfort zone as in really, um, but is there data? Do you have evidence on this? Because the mind over matter part to me is quite fascinating. And I'd love to dive into that mind over matter. So mm -hmm. how can I influence matter? And I'm thinking my physical body, my reality out there, so can you talk a little bit about that? Because you wrote a book on this, right? Mind Over Matter. Right, think... right. The book is currently out of print, although there's still copies floating around. I think you've been on Amazon uh, and it'll be back in print. I'm going to bring it back in print myself in a few months. Perfect. But um, first of all, thing to think everyone is doing Mind Over Matter. I mean, you may not be aware of that. And we think of this from the pop culture form of levitating an object, things flying around or those awful, horrendous poltergeists. Uh, demonstrations you see in the media, which are not like what they really are in real life. But in reality, 
we're doing mind over matter. I mean, the whole idea of mind-body connection, our body is matter, our mind is not. So the simplest example of this would be talking. We certainly know from studying you know, neuroscience and biology in general, physiology, we know that the neurons fire and cause certain muscles to move. And all. you can even trace the pathways when things are happening and what activity there is in the brain. But the one thing that we don't know is how the thought, conscious or unconscious, triggers the right neurons to cause these things to happen. That's consciousness. Uh, and included in all this, of course, is a very simple and well-accepted, what we consider a mind over matter or psychokinesis effect called the placebo effect, where you know this is like a benchmark in pharmaceutical research, that people are not given medication. They're either told that something they're given is medication that's going to help them, or they're convinced that through the way it's presented to them, this thing, which is representative of some medicine, is also going to work. And it works for, the placebo effect works for a lot of people, in fact. So that's all mind over matter. You know, it reminds me, Lloyd, of a study. Now, I haven't reviewed the study in years, so I'm going to do my best to say it correctly. But it was done here in Vancouver, I believe, at University of British Columbia, where they were giving Parkinson's patients an injection that would do something with dopamine. I don't know if they were giving them dopamine or it caused a more uptake in dopamine, which was important. And not surprisingly, they give them the injection and they can measure later an increase in dopamine. Their mm -hmm. tremors would, would get better as well. Then they started giving them a placebo. So it was saline. It was no longer the drug. And the patient's tremor got better. But also the body thought it was getting the medicine and it started to do the same thing as it did on the drug and increase dopamine. If that's how the study went, I'm, I'm trying to paraphrase it, but basically giving something that was considered inert saline, the body had learned behaviorally to release other hormones in the body as if it was getting the drug. And so that's kind of that mind over matter idea. Yeah. And there was actually a study of a couple of years ago where they looked at the placebo effect because there's not a lot of research just on the placebo effect. But what they did was they checked an oral placebo versus a, an injectable saline solution, placebo. And people did better with the injection, even when they were told it was just saline, that it was that kind of placebo, indicating that the psychological, our mindset, is more oriented towards an injection being more powerful or potent than a pill. But either way, there was a positive effect on a lot of the folks health-wise. So our minds can affect our health in dramatic ways. And, and certainly doctors know this. If a, if a patient doesn't have a positive outlook, then what's going to happen is that person may not get healed or may not heal themselves or even react positively to any sort of treatment. And, you know, the placebo effect often gets dismissed and disregarded. Yeah. But here we're talking about, hey, if our body's going to respond to our mindset, then Rather than ignore it, why not see if we can engage it, capitalize on it to help it impact our, our well-being? Yeah, that, that makes really good sense. You know, there, there's a lot of controversy um, in medicine over placebos and over all sorts of other, you know, types of fake medicines, as they call them, and alternative medicines. But the reality is, first of all, a lot of part pharmaceuticals are based on herbs and other things that are in nature. Uh, in fact, I, I'm a big chocolate guy, and I actually do guided chocolate tastings and even make chocolate. I've got a certificate as a professional chocolatier. And a few years ago, um, there was a big discussion. Well, not big. There was a discussion online 
with some chocolatiers, and I talked to a couple here in the Bay Area about this, that some pharmaceutical company was going to try to extract theobromine from cacao, from chocolate. That's another form of stimulant. It can help with migraines. They're going to create a drug from chocolate, when in fact, all one needed to do was eat some chocolate. Right. But it's hard to patent chocolate. <laughs> it's hard to get, you know, it's, it's already approved by the FDA. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, yes, um, I think for our listeners then, a good, and it, since we're on the topic of chocolate, is it a dark chocolate, a milk chocolate? So what, what would you suggest? Okay. Well, um, and, and by the way, there has been research on using chocolate, uh, putting intention, uh, kind of a PK effect. Uh, Dean Radin did some research on that a few years ago. Um, but it's dark chocolate. You really, to get the full impact of chocolate, the more cacao is in there, the higher the percentage of, of the actual plant, which chocolate comes from, means less sugar and hopefully not too many other ingredients in it. That gives you more of the stimulant. You know, there's a tiny bit of caffeine. Caffeine's actually not the main stimulant in chocolate. It's actually theobromine, which is what dogs are allergic to, by the way. So that's why you can't okay. get chocolate to dogs. It doesn't work the same way as, as caffeine. It doesn't give you um, the jitters the way the caffeine does. But there's also something else. There, there are many things in chocolate. Chocolate is one of the most complex, if not the most complex foodstuff on the planet with well over a thousand molecular structures in dark chocolate, That's you know, which is amazing. And it, it includes phenylethylamine, PEA, which is a substance the brain makes when we're in a really good mood and when we're in love, which is where the association with chocolate comes from. So if you eat good dark chocolate, you're going to have a mood enhancement. You know, I didn't know we were going to go into the chocolate talk, but I didn't know so much about your background in chocolate. So yeah. I'm glad. I think our listeners, I think that's of interest though, to all of us because a lot of us so, like yeah. chocolate. Yeah. And yeah. now we know the dark chocolate. I want to read a description from your book, Mind Over Matter. And then I'm going to ask you to kind of tie this in a little bit to our, for our audience. So it says that this, that our mind is a powerful tool. And then when properly focused, I think keyword here is focus can do amazing things for both your body and the world around you. And then in your book, Mind Over Matter, you present a variety of topics, including telekinesis, faith healing, spirit communication, stigmata, shamanism, firewalking, psychic attacks, levi levitation, and more. I'm interested for our listeners to learn about how or what tools you offer to ease your body's ailments through, through mental health and things that um, you would encourage people to use for mind over matter if they're looking to um, improve, improve their life on a physical level. Well, you know, there's now uh, quite a bit of literature about how visualization can help with, uh, this is something that Carl Simonton first um, posited back, uh, I think back in the 70s at Stanford, uh, working with cancer patients and visualizing the death of cancer cells, or you know, imagining that your white blood cells were white knights attacking the cancer cells. And people have had, this doesn't work with everybody, and, and we think we know partly why. This does have a positive effect for a lot of folks. It's, it's the, an extension of the placebo effect, effectively. And really, for health, part of it is attitude, is keeping a positive attitude. It, it's really hard to do that. I know for people who are in pain, for example, you have chronic pain, it's hard to have a positive attitude if that pain is happening all the time. But people have used even something with something like hypnosis to get beyond feeling the pain or noticing the pain. So our minds allow us to put aside the physical things that are that we're picking up consciously as well. As far as actual effect on your body, 
let me flip it for a minute. We know of this thing called a psychosomatic illness, which is not hypochondria. A psychosomatic illness is caused typically by stress or worry or other things that can cause ulcers and other things in your body. That's called the nocebo effect. It's the flip side of the placebo effect. And it absolutely causes physical ailment as well. So if you think about that, if our worries, if our bad intentions for ourselves, if our kind of belittling ourselves, if the stress will get to us, then what we need to do is flip that so that we are looking at a more positive outlook. Uh, Meditation is a very positive thing to use for use here. Visualization to kind of move away your illness in some respects. And it, it doesn't work on everybody because the problem is that not everybody accepts that this is going to work. You may think it does, you may say it does, but do you really believe this? I've seen this when I've taught people to do PK, kind of more telekinesis type things. So you have to kind of believe for it to, to have, um, have value for you to, for it to work. Right, right. Belief is, is really, I mean, that's the key factor we know in, in any sort of psychic experience that believers tend to have more psychic effect, more psychic abilities demonstrated even in the laboratory than disbelievers. And disbelievers actually often have a negative effect when we're testing for ESP and PK, kind of the reverse that you're going for. So you said in the laboratory. So I'm curious, can you share with us some of the laboratory experiments, research that you have to show that this PK, that's, um, and PK stands for? Psychokinesis, which is action by the mind. Okay. So we're using mind over matter again here, action by the mind. So Can you share a bit of what you've seen in the lab? And again, thinking about our our listeners here looking to create a reality, looking to manifest or grow their family. I'm just curious what you've seen and what you witness in the lab that some of us may not be aware of that research has been done. Well, I I focus on one particular area in the lab, but let me just kind of cover before I get to that. But let me talk a little bit about the research that's been done overall, just some key elements that are here. You know, we talk about healers of all sorts. Reiki. Reiki is a form of psychokinesis, also of mind over matter. Uh, energy healing, any of those things. Therapeutic touch is a form of this. Although all of those may have an effect because of the placebo effect, because people are accepting the the treatment, which is a major part of it, like with any medicine uh, or, or any medical treatment at all. So in the laboratory, there have been extensive studies over the years looking at, you know, now we don't do this anymore, but there are researchers such as Bernard Gradup at McGill University in Canada in the 70s and 80s who work with mice and other animals, and then also work with a, a psychic healer to work on with people. But with the mice, they actually cause minor wounds in the mice. Uh, the psychic healer would come in and treat them. And the mice healed much, much faster that were treated by the healer than the ones that were not, which the ones that were not were still handled so that there was at least a human interaction, but they were treated by the healer and that worked much faster and better. With people, uh, the healers that he had actually worked with individuals. And I worked with Alex Tanis at the American Society for Psychical Research, who did healing for people and worked with people at Bellevue Hospital, including some of the early AIDS patients. It wasn't even called AIDS at that point. And he had remissions. But he always told me that he wasn't 100% sure, even though he felt he was doing the healing, he wasn't sure that he was actually doing the healing rather than being a really good placebo, convincing them to heal themselves or triggering their own healing abilities, which we think may be going on. Can I just ask a question around that? Because around the placebo side, again, it gets a bad rap. 
And oh, yeah. you said something right there that I wanted to check in on. He wasn't sure if he was doing the healing or if he was, I can't remember the word, but um, triggering their triggering own. Triggering their responses, yeah. Yeah, so is that not healing though? If somebody's, because oh, our, yeah. oh, our bodies absolutely. are constantly healing. Our, our bodies are constantly getting rid of cancer cells and fighting viruses, bacteria, healing, healing wounds, right? Yeah, that's still absolutely a positive effect. He wondered about this because he thought maybe he could train a couple of actors to pretend to be Alex Tannis. Right, right. And see if, you know, they never did that, but because apparently the doctors didn't want them to do that, but uh, that might have been interesting. I don't know. I lean to the idea that many of the, this energy healing or this PK type healing, the person receiving the healing is the one really doing the healing. And somehow you're helping engage it, trigger it, activate it. I don't know because I'm not doing the research. I'm just wondering, that's how I've always thought about it or starting to think about it. That's yeah. probably more, um, I think of the Bankston research where in mm-hmm. his research, he, he, we have him in one of our episodes. We have Dean Radin, by the way, you mentioned as well, talks about some of his research, at least in my conversations with Dr. Bill Bankston, he had shared that it was the person or rat in need that determined the healing. And it wasn't so much the person doing the healing. And he wasn't yeah. sure what was happening there. <laughs> something was, he could see when he did the, the brains links up, something, they can, they could measure something. They could see something changing. So it wasn't just right. no, nothing's happening. They could measure changes. They don't know if there's other changes happening in the body, but what they measured, they did see something sync up. So I was just, I, I interrupted you when you were talking about this. No, that's study. okay. Uh, I was actually going to go on to the other, to the other, the flip side of this, which is that, there was a research done, Dolores Krieger herself, who started the therapeutic touch program with nurses around the United States, did research with a woman named Olga Warl, who was a healer. And some of the research included her being asked to increase blood hemoglobin levels in a flask of human blood. So it wasn't in a human being. And then also to speed up an enzyme reaction, which was mimicking similar to what enzymes we have in our bodies. Again, not in human being. So in a flask. And in both instances, she had an incredible effect on the blood and the enzymes, which would indicate that it's not just not just triggering something in us, although that may be for some, but there's some sort of energy uh, exchange. More recently, there's been research at the Rhine Research Center. Uh, John Kruth has been doing work in a bioenergy lab that we have at the, at the center, bringing in healers into a, an incre- a perfectly dark room and using a photomultiplier tube to detect the photons that the brain gives off. Because our brains give off photons at a, such a lower, and we're talking about particles of light, we're talking about you need a lot to see anything in the dark. And yet the average of one to five photons per second has been increased with a couple of the healers and with a couple of martial artists at over 500,000 photons per second. One of them reached a million photons per second. Still not visible, but detectable by these devices. This indicates that there's some energetic effect coming off the healers and apparently off martial artists too, who can play with chi. And so when you say photons, these are packages of energy, packages of light? That's what Particles of light, which okay. are energy, basically. And, uh, and so why would this be significant if we're seeing more of this coming off of people? Well, what that suggests, first of all, the research, the idea of the research came from a lot of art. If you look at uh, medieval art, Renaissance art of saints, of healers, of kind of sacred people around the planet, for that matter, they're often glowing, that right. halo effect. So it was thought, let's, let's see if the healers who claim to do energy healing are giving off some form of energy 
when they're healing. And in fact, they are. This is the only detectable energy we know to look for at this point. But there is a huge increase, a spike in the energetic effect that they're giving off. That may not be what is causing the healing or triggering the healing in other people. But there is absolutely an increase in energy coming from the healers. You know, it's interesting because in our fertility practice that I have in Vancouver, we use low-level laser therapy, which emits photons into right. put it into certain areas of the body where there's high blood volume around the ovaries. Low-level laser therapy is putting energy into the body. And it's been shown to regulate inflammation, inflammation, increase blood flow, and improve mitochondrial function. So I just share this because we're talking about conscious fertility, and you mentioned photons, and right. we're we're using it at a certain wavelength, um, red and infrared, to support the body's ability. To heal and regulate so in your research you're seeing things and you're it's not just like nothing's happening you are seeing you are able to measure photons changes in the brain you're seeing things happen as people experience healing yeah john kreuth is doing that and is showing that kind of effect they've got a lot more research to do but the biophoton idea uh, the idea that we give up biophotons we don't know why. There are people in many fields of science who are studying this effect. It's not just parapsychology that's looking at this. They're not looking at healers specifically, but they are looking at what, why the brain is giving off these photons and, and, and why they can increase, for example. And John Kruth, who you work with, we have an episode with him on the Conscious Fertility podcast, so, and he talks about the biophotons, so worthwhile to listen to. So, so I was going to mention also what, what my research has been, you know, yeah. has mainly my controlled research on PK has mainly been with one particular subject in the 90s and, and also kind of going forward, not in a laboratory, but with this. There's a gen I work with by the name of Martin Caden, okay. who uh, it was a science and science fiction writer. He wrote the book Cyborg, which became the $6 million man TV series. Okay. Yeah. He also wrote the book Marooned, which became an Academy Award winning movie in the, 60, in the late 60s as well. Uh, and Marty was capable of PK, of, of moving objects, of what we would call telekinesis, uh, under extremely controlled conditions. And so I worked with him for several years. Uh, we did a few workshops together, and then I kind of carried on after he passed away. Kind of a method of teaching people to move objects, which is very, very simple because trying to get people to move a big object is beyond our boggle threshold. You know, we have this belief threshold that we could get to up to a certain point. And there's a particular psychology behind psychokinesis. It's really human performance issues where P ESP is still odd for mainstream science, not accepted, but it's not that odd for most people. Most human beings can accept that there's some form of ESP. When, it talks, when we talk about moving an object, that freaks people out and it's hard to accept. Even seeing it happening, they're gonna go to, I didn't really see that or, it's a fake or something like that. That's what our culture has taught us to believe. So we have to kind of do something, get people past that. And it works teaching. What I've learned is teaching people works much better in a group, even though not everybody can do it. And I kind of extended that and doing some of the spoon bending parties that people have heard about. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Tell us more spoon bending parties. Go ahead. I'm listening yeah. all ears. So, um, Back in the late six, late seventies, uh, after Uri Geller, the Israeli psychic, you know, caused a stir in the world because he could bend spoons and forks and other things, and would do these TV appearances and tell people at home that they could do it too. And all of a sudden, the TV stations or networks were flooded with calls and letters. This is pre-email. People claiming that stuff did bend in their hands while watching Geller on TV. So an aerospace engineer named Jack Houck 
came up uh, in studying psychokinesis. He was interested in this, looking at the psychology that uh, of this whole performance issue that was put down in our literature by a man named Ken Batcheldorn in the UK, that human beings have a problem of witnessing. They are inhibited from witnessing and acknowledging PK happening in most instances. And they have even more of an, an, a problem owning up to it. But Geller was able to get people past it because he really, his superpower really, because he, he also does magic, but his superpower was motivating people to do psychic things. I, I mean, I, I've known, met Uri a bunch of times and talked to him about this. So Halk actually came up with this idea of taking the spoon bending stuff. Let's do a group and get people absolutely out of their heads. Silly, which is, these are very silly. And let's see what happens. And it turned out that people were able to bend spoons psychically and otherwise without even realizing what they were doing. Uh, I've kind of done this over the last 15 years now, actually more than that myself, but Hauk was doing it in the late 70s through the 80s and into the 90s. And it's, it's a really interesting thing because it's not just that people are physically bending things and you know not realizing it because they're in a slight altered state, but you see things happening yeah, that just don't happen under normal circumstances with this stuff. In that circumstance, people really get into it. In the other circumstance, trying to move an object, what I found very clearly was an, an illustration of the problem. And that is that even in a group where everybody's basically these are paper pyramids that are balanced on a spindle or pin, whether they're under glass or not. And I see people causing them to move and then doing this. I mean, that motion, I, I've seen many people do that. Like, I can't believe I did that. It didn't really happen. And then they can't do it again it's because they can't accept that that was a real thing. And this goes back to that having to believe. So there is this idea of, I don't know, cognitive bias, I think is the word. Like, you know, it's hard to change somebody's belief, right? And yeah. that's why, you know, we have flat earth, earthers, right? Mm -hmm. No matter what, they're not going to believe. Or you have in your country political parties. And no matter how much you <laughs> yeah. give them evidence of something's not right or corrupt, they well, can't, they can't change that party yeah, line. Yeah. So. You know, I, I was listening, just listening. I'm a fan of all time radio. I was just listening to an episode of the adventures of Superman from the 1940s. Right. And it's a, a series about hate mongers uh, and Superman going after them. And at one point somebody says, you know, if you tell people the lie enough times, they'll believe it. Okay. And that's definitely what's been going on here. Yeah. So, so people, you, you know, they can't, you can't give them the evidence and not there's not enough evidence to make them see it differently. And so is that what you think is happening with the PK? Because in this materialistic world paradigm that we live in, this can happen. So when, even when they see it, they can't even, it doesn't go in. It doesn't go in or if it goes in, they're afraid of it because in popular culture, we are, we, what we see typically is PK run wild in a bad way. You know, you take the movie Carrie, for example, both versions of that the, from Stephen King's book where she, Sissy Spacek in the first version is, you know, they, they, they prank her with pig's blood at the, the prom after crowning her prom queen. And she just explodes psychokinetically, you know, things burn, cars flip, all that stuff. We see a lot of negative imagery around people doing PK and very little positive imagery, but that's the case with most psychic phenomena, I think in pop culture anyway. Uh, so people tend to be afraid. Plus, you couple that with the religious fear of anything out of the ordinary and then the peer pressure that happens to kids, because that's weird. It, it just 
sets us up for failure in this area. If we can use our mind to bend spoons, for example, then I'm curious what else we can do with that kind of focus. Well, that's 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 the whole idea, um, because when people do the spoon bending and recognize that they really did do that without, you know, some people are a little, they're still a little skeptical. So they think they actually put, use strength to do that. But when you see some of these metal objects, there's just no way they could have bent them that quickly or they're made out of, uh, you know, I often buy really cheap spoons that if you try to bend them, they snap. Mm -hmm. And yet people can bend them into spirals, which is pretty amazing. I even had somebody then take a spiral and unbend it, which is if you try to do that, you can bend it by strength slowly, but if you unbend it fast, it's absolutely going to break or snap. Even a a heavy spoon will do that. And so this, the spoon bending, it's not an illusion. It's not, it's not a magician's trick. Like they're, they are bending spoons. They are bending spoons. There has been analysis of um, many of the spoons by Jack Houck. He had a metallurgist kind of cut them up, uh, just cut slices and compare it against spoons that were bent with physical force and different structure of the crystal, the metal and metal crystals inside from the ones that are bent psychokinetically. And we teach this as an example of how our minds can actually influence things directly. And, th- and that bringing that back to health, the idea that we can influence our own body to a point. I mean, there may be a point where we can't, unless you, you know, unless we can push the belief system a little bit, quite a bit more just globally, but we can make changes. Uh, My friend, Martin Caden died of misdiagnosed thyroid cancer and uh, had it been, it's one of the most curable cancers. Had it been diagnosed properly, he would have been cured. But when he finally went to the Mayo Clinic and they told him it's too late, it's throughout your body. They told him you have eight weeks to live. That's what they told him. His response, because he called me from the Mayo Clinic to tell me how he cursed out the doctors and how he told them he was going to be calling him every week past that eight weeks until he actually died. And he lasted over a year and a half longer because he he really was mad that they gave him an expiration date because most people will use that expiration date and they will die. And that's the, the nocebo effect again, that giving up because you've been told you have an expiration we will cause ourselves to die. And, and then some people like your friend use it to live longer just to right. <laughs> prove somebody, somebody wrong. So it's not as simple or as easy as, okay, I want to be fertile. I want to get, I want to have a, a healing. There must be a, a skill, a practice, a mastery focus. Can you tell us a bit about this process of using your mind? Like if yeah. I got in, like I've never been to Spoon. So if I was, I'm going to talk about the health, but I want to go back to the spoon bending. If you put me in a group of, I don't know how many you need, do you have like a little practice, like a little lesson and what I need to do? Or do I just have to be in the room and the spoon's going to bend because somebody else knows how to do it? We go through a visualization process that Jack Halk actually came up with. And part of the thing that I do, I like to have everybody have a, a pendulum, you know, not a just basically something, either a, a nut on a string or a ring on a string to show an under unconscious effect we have called the idiomotor effect. I mean, if you take a ring and put it on a string or, or just even hold a pendant out and you hold it between your thumb and forefinger and just hold it till it's still and then let it go and then think about it moving in a circle for the, the vast majority of people it will start moving in a circle. And then you can change your mind and say, okay, now go back and forth. And it will do that. And you are positive. Consciously, you are not moving your hand or making any muscle movements, but there are minor muscle movements or impulses that are coming from the unconscious. 
And so that shows you that your mind can kind of cause things to happen, even if you're not consciously trying. And from there, we move to the spoon bending. And the idea is to think about how, first of all, how we are connected to everything around us. I mean, for the spoon bending, I kind of, I use Star Wars often because I'm a, a Star Wars fan to channel the force, bring a light down, bring the energy down through your body and back up and then into the spoons themselves. But for something like healing, uh, or even for moving those little targets, paper targets based on that balance on the spindles, you can do the same kind of exercise and channel it through your hands. And we see Luke Skywalker in the movies, you know, pointing his hand at something. Uh, that's actually not necessary, but it's a good guide. And what happens there is you visualize the ending. So what's going to happen? I'm going that that thing's spinning. That in my mind, the target is already moving. That's what you're doing. Now, unlike the pop culture version where, you know, you see people concentrating so hard, they get that throbbing vein in mm -hmm. their head and their face turns red. If you were to watch people when they're doing any sort of PK, even healing, any of the spoon bending, any of that, their faces go blank. Almost like you're getting, it's totally that you're getting out of your own way. You're letting your psychic muscles move or affect things with a goal in mind rather than concentrating you're focusing on the visual. Carl Simonton had people visualizing the cancer cells being destroyed. And people who really got into that have had success for that. There are a number of other people who've had other forms of visualization. And there are many different rituals around the world in different cultures that do the same kind of thing. Do you think, Lloyd, that it's the subconscious, then that part of us that's doing this? And going back to the pendulum spinning, so consciously, you don't think you're moving it. You got your finger still. But on a subconscious level, there's these minor subtle movements that you can't perceive consciously that's happening. Because I always call the subconscious, I, I refer to the subconscious as a supercomputer, super powerful um, part of ourselves. And then the conscious part is not very powerful, but we can use it to send intention or direction to the subconscious or help imprint on it. And so in the spoon bending, in the healing, you're saying, get out of your way. Is that kind of like consciously this, this little computer Step aside, set your attention, and then the superconscious or the subconscious will do its thing, which can sounds like, and I'm going to ask you what your thoughts are, like if it's bending the spoon and you become one with the spoon, what do you think is happening? Because we have this materialistic view, this Newtonian world um, where we're separate, and it sounds like from what I've heard from other guests, that there's a more quantum understanding of this world where we are connected beyond space and time. Because nobody really knows, but a lot of people have right. ideas of possibly what's happening. So what do you think is happening or what's your view of the world as of what you've learned thus far? Well, first I have to say that when we've tried to detect, for example, the force or energy that is causing objects to move, to bend spoons, uh, all of these things, we find that, and even within our field, that psychokinesis, mind over matter, is a trickster phenomenon. There was a researcher named Rex Stanford who came up with a model for all this, in which if you're being psychic, especially psychokinetic, if there's five possible ways to move that object or to affect the cells in the body or to uh, bend a spoon to get an end result, your mind, your unconscious is going to find the easiest way in that moment. And if you try to detect it, it'll shift to another way. Well, it's kind of like that uh, that observer I, in Dean Radin's, he talked about as soon as you start to observe it, it behaves differently. I think it was waves and particles he was doing in his experiment, a split right, experiment correct, he yeah. talked about. 
can you so there's a trickster so so is this part of us the trickster or is there something else it's part of us it, it it's totally part of us and it's probably because we have you know either evolutionarily or cult you know cross culturally there is there is this idea that we can only do so much psychically without totally freaking out a really interesting example of you know we we always we've all heard the story of the mother who was thrown from a car and the car flipped over and the yes. kid stuck in the car. The mother rips the, the door off and pulls the kid out, right? The super the, the super strength that she has in that moment lifts the car up to super save the strength, child. Right. Which which I heard as a kid, you know, when I heard about this, they said they always said it's adrenaline. Well, you know, here's a problem. Adrenaline cannot make the human body yeah. stronger. It just speeds up our reflexes. It may allow us to use the maximum. But I actually got to meet, uh, I lucked out and met a couple of uh, doctors, an ER doctor and um, orthopedic surgeon from Marin County General Hospital. This is actually before, while I was writing Mind Over Matter. So the universe was kind to me. And I was talking to them about the book and talking to them about this. And I said, hey, you know, out of curiosity, have you guys ever seen in a medical newsletter or medical journal, anybody who's actually examined somebody like this? And they looked at each other and they turned back to me and said, we had somebody like that about a month ago in the hospital. And they, they, they talked about this woman, <clears throat> woman who had gone off the road. Her kid was trapped. There were many witnesses who saw this happen. She pushed up the car. It was actually, I believe, a pickup truck. Opened the door, ripped off the seatbelt, and pulled her kid out. She was under 120 pounds. She was about five foot two. So I said, well, did you examine her? And the ER doctor said, yeah, she just had some you know, bruises and, and scratches on her. And we sent her up to orthopedics. And the other guy, the surgeon, had looked at her x-rays. She, I said, so what should have happened to her, given the circumstances? And they looked at each other again. And the orthopedic surgeon said, well, she should have had at least a couple of broken bones, if not torn ligaments and muscle issues and all that. And none of that had happened. So I said, well, what explains that? And they were they couldn't explain any of that. So Martin Caden, his, his explanation would have been that either our subconscious psychic power, our psychokinesis, either shored up her body, in other words, made her body almost like give it like an exoskeleton, or perhaps her mind lifted the car, actually levitated it, but because we're human beings and freaked out by that sort of thing, she had her hand on the car to make herself feel better without realizing it. Okay. It, this is, so again, we're going back to this whole idea of belief. I'm somebody that wants to have better health. I want some, I, I want to use my mind over matter. What is kind of the, the training or what are the, is there a skill to this? Can anybody, can anybody potentially learn how to do this? You bend spoons and do these things. Is there a way that you think that we can get better at doing this? So it is just part of life that I can bend a spoon or move an object with my mind or heal something in my body? Well, you know, I, there to a point, yeah, the answer is to a point. And it might become in waves <clears throat> in the sense that the idea of bending a spoon is not practical in some, in the long run, it's, it's not socially acceptable. Um, one of the mediums I work with, the Forever Family Foundation, found that she could do this after we did a little spoon bending session with a group of them at the Rhine Center years ago. And for the entire weekend, she was bending stuff at the hotel and bending stuff at the restaurant. And she called me later that week uh, after everybody left to say her husband was getting mad at her because she was bending stuff at home. So I, I think there's a limit <laughs> to how practical some of those things might be. But when it comes down to it, you know, this is a, this is a belief issue. <clears throat> We're talking about health. Uh, I, I would not rely solely on this at all. 
but I would absolutely focus on this. And that is to perhaps try to, there's ways you can try the spoon bending, although really it works better in, with groups than it does to try to do it yourself. What, is there, a, do you have a theory why it's better in groups versus individuals? Because it helps with a group, especially when you have a group of people who are yelling at, at their okay. spoons to bend, which is part of the silliness of it. It gets you past that witness inhibition. It gets you past that ownership resistance because everybody's doing it. In a group, you have the peer, peer effect that if five or six people in a group are doing it, even if it's 100 people, it's okay to do. If only one person's doing it, it may not be okay to do. Because it made me think of uh, Lynn McTaggart has the book, The Power of Eight, where she gets groups of eights to do healing. And then I was just thinking like batteries, you know, put more together, you get better results maybe. So I was just thinking, you know. Yeah, healing circles do work better for people because you're being supportive of each other, actually getting healed and having group the work, mindset yeah. Yeah. to do that. Yeah. So there is that group <clears throat> group effect. But, you know, it's it's that's more of a psychological effect than actually a psychic. Can effect. you even separate those? I think it's yeah. tough to do that. <laughs> it's tough to separate though. I mean, psychic is influenced by the psychological, yeah. no question. Yeah. So going back to people wanting to learn this, is there a place that they can learn to develop their PK and influence? I've done this on myself and I, I believe there's been experiments like I can bring awareness to my, my fingertips. If I just focus on my fingertips, I can bring awareness and start to sense them. And if they're a little chilly like they are, I can sense them getting warmer, right? Um, right, I believe right. they've done measurements where there's more blood flow temperature. So in Chinese medicine, we have this idea where the mind goes, the chi follows, what you focus on becomes your reality. And that's how we move well, energy, move chi, just bring your awareness to it. So that's a do, subtle do remember, idea. Do you remember biofeedback? I'm aware of biofeedback. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, biofeedback, it was an attempt, was using sensor technology to tell you that you were actually influencing or affecting your body. Right. Whether it was blood pressure, galvanic skin response, heartbeat, any of those things. We can do that. We can affect our bodies in many ways, some more subtle than others, but we absolutely can do that. Uh, the whole idea of biofeedback was to teach people how to do that by giving them feedback that they were being successful or in the right direction. So part of the issue here for healing yourself or keeping yourself healthy is how do you feel? Uh, in your subject, in the fertility issue, it's really going to be, is there a success rate here down the road? But part of it is, you know, Am I believing, am I accepting that this can really happen? And that can be the tough part to get past. Yeah. And when we've done some uh, group works and, and with my patients, we talk about baby manifestation and in a, in a light way that just using manifestation techniques, because nobody studied this. So I'm, give it a go, see what happens. Sure. Another thing to, to add to your supplements, your acupuncture, your herbs, your IVF, bring, brings, be proactive, bring your mind into it. And the way I've studied um, others that are doing manifestation have come up with kind of my, my approach is their first quiet body and mind. So get yourself into a state of calmness and there's tools to elicit relaxation. And then I call it setting your GPS. So get clear on what you want as if you already have it, like you said, right? What's the end result? And then bring in the emotion because it's that's the charge behind mm -hmm. the intention. It's the power. It's like if you're sending a message out into the ether, the more emotion, the more, the louder the beacon, and then get to a state of practicing it. Like, can you, can you deny your current reality, close your eyes, go inside and imagine as if it's already happened. You're holding your baby, for example. And can you get to that place where you believe it? So you're not like wanting it, but not having it. Like, so you're feeling, I don't have it. You're feeling stressed about it. No, you're really believing it for a moment. So when you actually open your eyes, 
there's a little bit of disappointment because you're in the reality again where you don't have it. But for the 10 seconds, 30 seconds, two minutes, you're there and you're just excited and you're believing you're having it. That's part of the manifestation process I like to play with. I think that that will that's a really good way. I'd also actually step that back from the final result of a baby and think about what's going on inside oneself at that point. Tell me more. What, you, what, what do you mean by that? Well, I, I think that visualizing the process, uh, the conception process, the growth of the fetus, all of that stuff, just the whole process, just so that they're with a positive outcome of a baby might be kind of the extra oath that, that might help here. Yeah, good. There's some uh, some of the guided imageries that we share as resources. One of them takes them through that process of experiencing the whole pregnancy. And I usually invite uh, the women I see, like some of them are pushing a stroller and the kids too. Some are holding the baby at the birth. Some are seeing themselves pregnant. To me, it's whatever's going to, whatever image is going to elicit that feeling of being a mother and, and, and why you want this baby. It's going to help elicit the, the feeling. So I'm focus on the end result and let them find their image. And, mm-hmm. I, and I like your idea of it. And that's the playful part. Find other parts that you want to um, right. incorporate. Right. And I'll mention, by the way, there, there, Jack Houck actually has a website still with, which gives you the details in running a spoon bending party. If you want to try one yourself. <laughs> yeah, good. So, and that's, it's uh, J-A-C-K-H-O-U-C-K.com. Um, I'm very intrigued. So yes. And then I want to come downstairs with my wife and children and, and see if I, I'd be happy to be a little yelled at for a little bit for bending spoons in the house. I think it'd be, be quite fun. But as you said, there's, there is data, there is studies where they're using the mind that your focus to, to do healing, to help encourage yeah. the body to do its healing. And I want to emphasize that the body has this innate ability to heal. That's why we're alive. Otherwise, we wouldn't be alive. It's constantly doing repair. And all we're doing is consciously setting the intention to engage that healing capacity. Yeah, that is correct. We're triggering some process in our own bodies. I mean, clearly the placebo effect, which is not always making you feel better, but actually make you better. Right. Um, actually having the full effect. It, it's very clear that this is a, a, a real effect. And it is a mental effect. It, do you think getting good at focusing is important? Because I, I find that intention is not enough. Like you, re- there is a skill to this. There is a practice to this. Yeah, you know, there, there's a couple forms of meditation. One is just the opening up meditation. The other is focusing on something. Uh, and you can focus on a real object and focus on, for example, I mean, it could be a candle flame, but maybe you focus on, even though it doesn't, it may not ever happen, on the candle flame being snuffed out or the candle flame flaring up. So, but taking one single thing and focusing on that, and then seeing if you can actually picture that in your mind. Not everybody can actually visualize, Mm -hmm. um, but to have even a word that you're thinking of and just kind of zero in on that. And again, this is not about trying so hard. This is about actually seeing the end result or thinking of the end result and getting out of the way of of second guessing yourself. This reminds me. You talked about the focus and snuffing out of the snuffing the candle out. Is this kind of like looking at a cloud and see if you can make it disappear? Yeah, cloud busting. Cloud, is that what it's called? Okay, I remember. Yeah, it's called, called cloud busting. Okay, is there yeah. is that such a thing? Is have you guys studied that? Uh, apparently, some people claim to be be able to do it. I know that there was um, a gentleman by the name of Ted Owens who was studied by Jeffrey Mishlove. Quite in fact, Jeff wrote a book about him called The PK Man who was able to, to do cloud busting and other similar things. And there are a lot of stories from around the world 
of course, uh, people who have been able to affect the weather. So, yeah. They'd be good for people that have weddings planned or outdoor events. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, for hire. Know, my dad was, my dad was a sports producer and he told me a story about uh, NBC covering a um, major golf tournament in South Africa and there was a big storm coming and they hired a witch doctor <laughs> to come and do a ritual and the storm bypassed the um the golf course but hit everywhere else very interesting anecdotally interesting we got to see if we can reproduce that but i like that right, I, right. I do like this idea that we don't dismiss everything I, I often find in our society we we like to dismiss the outlier and i'm looking mm -hmm. to like the the woman that's told she can't get pregnant her hormone levels her age her history says impossible and then she does i want to study her like i want to i, I want to find out can we can we replicate this more often well here's the basic problem it goes back to the eight weeks that martin caden was given to live we are told what limits we have the four minute mile was not physiologically possible for a human being to do it until roger bannister ran that in 1954 and then lots of people did it that's right it took three weeks after he broke that's it right. for the next person to break it that's right yeah so when every time we're told that there's a limit on either mental capacity or physical capacity, uh, especially if we take it to heart and we don't fight back at it and flip it around, we are putting up a wall that is going to be hard for us to get past. We have these ceilings. It reminds me, I think the author is Gay Hendricks. The book might have been called The Big Leap, but he talks about how we have the ceiling. And to get to another place or level in your life, it's about breaking through that ceiling, that limiting belief. You got to take it to, and then you can. Ex you can experience more. And, and a lot of times all it takes is one person to do it who is a good example. And we can say, well, if this guy can do it, I can do it too. Right. That, that's the attitude that has to shift. If that person can cause themselves to get pregnant when they are told they can't, or if that person can have remission from cancer, why can't I do that? Yeah, I had an uh, interesting client that I worked with who was told it's impossible and um, premature ovarian failure was her diagnosis. She worked physically, so she took her diet, her herbs, her supplements. We did acupuncture, laser, but we did a lot of conscious work. She had, she had a history of some trauma, and she was just amazing at doing her work and the shift she made. And big thing was the relationship she took up with her ovaries, kissing her ovaries, imagining, you know, having that relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and she's well into her pregnancy now. And uh, that's great. But, you know, and again, anecdotal case i'm trying i want to make more of these cases but it was just you know interesting when she came like the doctor said it's uh, really it's really hard uh we talk about anecdotal story yeah. cases and stories the, the fact is that bringing somebody into a into controlled environment isn't for something like this is not necessarily going to be good for them right you know and you can't control all the variables even though you might try and you may be cutting out one of the variables that's necessary for the psychological mindset to cause these things to happen right and if the investigator is biased and doesn't want it to work they can impact right. the results as you are learning in the research that i know you guys do at the ryan institute and the stuff that you've been well, involved you know in. it's been identified there's an experimenter effect not necessarily a psychic one but there is definitely an experimenter effect in almost all fields of science right and it, so. to me it's not just energetic out there it's that idea where you're holding the pendulum and you think you're not making it move but there's subtle muscles the experimental bias, although they think they're being not biased, somehow they're being biased. Right. Yeah. yeah. In the corporate world, we know all about implicit bias now. Yes. yes. We've all had to go through training <laughs> <Yes>. for that. <laughs> Any 
messages or anything you want to share, resources for our listeners. Um, we'll get to how they can connect with you, like where they can sure. find you. But just from your book, Mind Over Matter, from your psychic dreaming, if if somebody is coming to you like, I, I want to be more involved in my well-being, I, um, is there resources or uh, suggestions that you have for our listeners? Well, I mean, there are a number of websites, of course, of parapsychologists who've been involved in this work and other researchers <clears throat> who've been involved in this work. You know, I'll just mention, you know, you said you had Dean Radin on his, he's got a great resources page in his online library on Dean, at deanradin.com. Charles Tart has some stuff on altered states of consciousness on his website. Uh, and we have a number of folks. So you can go to the website of the Parapsychological Association, which is parapsych.org and check out the membership and just explore a little bit. You'll find that there are people who've been involved in the healing who might be able to help you and there's contacts for a number of them. So that, that's one resource here. Uh, the Rhine Research Center, as it happens um, right now, we have a huge media library that's behind a paywall normally. It's hundreds of videos of lectures, including people talking about psychic healing and some of these things that we're talking about tonight. Uh, I have a few lectures up there myself. But through the end of January, they're free to everybody. So that's Rhine, R-H-I-N-E dot org. And just go to the media library and you'll have access. We hope you would join, of course. Yeah, make, make sure you join. And when you listen to this, this may be past the end of January of 2023. And so, um, but membership will give you access as well if it's no longer available. And, and there are free, there is a number of free lectures uh, that are always free. Uh, and, and then I'll, I'll, you know, we'll get to how to contact me, but I have a couple of resources. I'm very happy to send to people who ask. Excellent. So for the fertility stuff, I always encourage people to download our fertility diet on the AccuBalance website, and you can check what we're doing with acupuncture, laser, and our conscious work. Lloyd, how can people find you, find your books? Um, how can they connect with you? So my books are available on Amazon, the ones that are in print. Uh, I think there are still copies of Mind Over Matter still up there at this point. Plan to have it back out by the end of March, if not sooner back up on Amazon for with a new cover and a new new uh, publisher. And um, if he, folks want to contact me, I have something I can send them on, on a simple PK exercise they can try that Martin Caden actually put together. Okay. Uh, and I also have some information that I might be able to send them on healing. I'm happy to send a chapter from the Mind Over Matter book as well about the healing part of things. Perfect. So we'll and, we'll put in our show notes how they can contact you. You'll send that to yeah, me. Yeah, which is my email, which okay. is profparanormal at gmail.com. You have that email okay. and feel free to have to put that in the show notes. Perfect. Lloyd, thank you very much. We'll have to have you on again because I see a Ghostbusters uh, doll back there and a few other things that I'm going to want to ask you about. <laughs> and so we'll get that for another conversation. Thank you for uh, taking the time to chat with me today on the Conscious Fertility Podcast. You're very welcome. If you're looking for support to grow your family, contact AccuBalance Wellness Center. At AccuBalance, they help you reach your peak fertility potential through their integrative approach using low-level laser therapy, fertility acupuncture, and naturopathic medicine. Download the AccuBalance Fertility Diet and Dr. Brown's video for mastering manifestation and clearing subconscious blocks. Go to acubalance.ca, that's A-C-U-Balance.ca. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Conscious Fertility, the show that helps you receive life on purpose. Please take a moment to subscribe to the show and join the community of women and men on their path to peak fertility and choosing to live consciously on purpose. I would love to continue this conversation with you, so please direct message me on Instagram at Lauren Brown Official. That's Instagram, Lauren Brown Official. Or you can visit my websites, laurenbrown.com and acubalance.ca. Until the next episode, stay curious and for a few moments, bring your awareness to your heart center and breathe.